This is Coda Radio, episode 414 for May 17th, 2021. Hey, handsome, and welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. You know, Cloud Guru has that cloud playground. That's right, Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud on their sandbox and credit card, <laughs> not yours. So get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and battling the brood X cicadas in the heartland of Florida, it is our podcast partner, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. It was an alligator. Um, it was a black uh, a uh, cottonmouth. It was a black mamba. It was a cicada. Okay, I am Florida, man. Well, they're all over the news today. I turned on the news before we started the show, and CNN was covering the emerging cicadas giving people anxiety, so... You know, my thoughts are with you, but I, you know, I, I went to, as I do stalk you on Twitter, you know, and uh, I, I didn't get my fix. I didn't have anything to pull from. Uh, I had, no, I've been relatively calm. Has your Twitter philosophy changed? Yeah. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's basically where I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do replies, but I have pulled way back on the tweets themselves just because Twitter is a, Twitter is a hot box. I tell you what. It's like, we're going to read what you said and find the worst possible interpretation of that and go from there. It really does feel that way. Yeah. So I've been, I've been just before the show too. Like I was chatting with Wes. I do, you know, I get like, I try to get myself, you know, amped up and chatting and want, you know, check see what's on TV so we don't miss anything. And I, I was chatting with Wes and I'm, I'm at a indecision point and I thought maybe you would be the guy to bounce a question off of. And it's, it's really simple. It's just at what point does a very small team like JB consider hosting everything that we do on our own built from the ground up platform. So right now, like our back end for like file downloads and feeds and CDN and uh, what renders in your mobile player for a podcast catcher, that's really done by Fireside, which is a which is a podcast service, a hosting service, which is really great. It's made by a, a, a fellow podcaster named Dan Benjamin, and he's put a tremendous yeah, amount of work great. into it. Yeah, you use it too, right? Yeah. One day, the Mike Dominic show will come back. It might be 2040, but one day. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our circles that you and I travel in, you know, in the in the on the internet, they really all kind of they all adopted Fireside. When JB went in on Fireside, you really saw everyone in our circle who launches a podcast now launches on Fireside. Um, even the Fedora Project is launching a podcast and they're hosting it on Fireside. And Fireside's tremendous because it gives you a really great CDN on the back end and it gives you a bunch of tools and a nice UI. But I, it has one downside that kind of begins to drive me crazy. And so this is why I want you to tell me if I'm just nutty and if I should just shut up and move on and not let this bother me, or if it's worth building my whole platform from scratch. Because that would involve a website, a CDN, doing the feeds, a bunch of backend stuff that has to happen that I don't really need to get into, but it'd be a big project. And the main driver is simply, while Fireside has been pretty great, they haven't addressed some things I'd like them to address that I would like to be able to do. I'd like to have some control over content that goes on the website, a little more control. And But the main thing, Mike, if I'm being honest with you, is that every Fireside podcast and every Fireside website looks the same. Well, they are the same, right? There's like four templates and that's it, if I recall correctly. Yeah. The new Fedora Project podcast actually did the, the most customization I've ever seen of a Fireside page. 
and it still looks like a fireside page. And it's just that everybody's podcast kind of looks the same. Number one, that's kind of a bummer. Number two is it's all kind of the same features. So there's nothing I can really do that differentiates because we're all on the same platform. And then number three is people mistake other people's Linux shows for my shows because they look like my websites. And so people think that maybe like, because it's a Linux podcast, it's a JB production because it looks like all the other JB websites. And so I guess I'm left with, well, what do I do? Do I go build my own custom solution for this? No. Which would be expensive. No. And no. What are you, crazy? But, how, but, how, how, but the, the whole thing we do is we try to stand out. We try to be you know, high quality. We, we try to do things, that do the hard work that other people aren't willing to do. And this sort of just feels like maybe it's the next phase of that. You can correct me if I'm wrong, because this is your area, not mine. But I believe it's still true that most people get their podcasts from iTunes or Apple Podcasts, right? I'm, I'm going to conflate those two. And like, what is it? Um, oh, what po- Pocket Cast, the one I used to use on Android. Like, there, there's just a few podcast apps that people use, and they never ever go to the podcast website. You're totally right. You're totally right. Well, if that's true, then don't waste your money. Uh, it's just, oh, it just kills me. It just kills me. Yeah, okay, New Jersey time. We really need like a situation or something. Yeah. You know, like Snooky. Like a New Jersey kind of like a great, perfect. If anybody out there knows a movie, like a really hit, quick hit from a movie, like a one liner for a, for a Jersey time intro, send it into the show. I feel like the only people who care about the podcast web pages are other podcasters. Yeah, you're probably totally right. It's really, I mean, I know that it comes down to the content, number one right. of the podcast. Yeah. And then no, you're right. The, the vast, vast majority. Like, it's probably 90% listening mobile players um, of some kind. Maybe it's not that high in our audience, but that's the, that's the average. Mm, I, I, would, I, I would bet my hat it's almost that high. Yeah. Because yeah. they've all got yeah. a Droid or a Librem or some other, <laughs> dare I say, Ubuntu touch phone. Can I just say, like, part of me is like, man, I should have gotten, like, some sort of affiliate revenue for this. Because, like, I don't even think old Dan knows how many customers have come his way. <laughs> Because of me. I'm one. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, think of everybody we know who's ever been involved with JB who go in and does their own podcast now. They're all using Fireside too, right? Yeah. They all are. Everybody is. Because, you know, it works well. It's a good product. It's like easy mode for podcasts, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a few platforms out there, but the nice thing about Fireside is that it's independent. And, you know, where you have like Anchor, which has a lot of the positives, and, but it's also owned by Spotify, <laughs> you know, and each other, all the other podcast platforms, not all of them, but a lot of the podcast platforms have some big corporate owner behind them where Fireside is Dan Benjamin, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to say Optimus Gray in the chat is saying, well, what if someone wants to see the show notes or, but most decent podcast players, and I actually, are, can I make a confession, Father? Mm, let me hear it, son. I am still a premium Pocket Cast subscriber. Oh, sure. Yeah. Even though I day-to-day use uh, Insta... Uh, Overcast? Overcast, thank you. Because sometimes when I'm on my Thaleo... So I have different subs to different shows on different clients. I kind of have done that too sometimes. And I really? I like it. Yeah, well, I because... Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I want a different... Like, it's nice to come back to a whole different set of shows sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I used to listen. This is a good show. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I do that on my Android. I have I do the same thing. I have Pocket Cast on my Pixel. And um, it's I have some overlap there. But it's a different set of shows. And it's kind of fun. And then on my iPhone, I have Overcast, where I have, like, my daily listens. Right, you have the good shows, right, on the iPhone, because it's a good <laughs> phone. Yeah, no, I get that. But... <laughs> I like what you did there. Coder is obviously on the droid. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know what should come back? What's that? 
Stoked. Oh, man. This is the third week in a row we got a Stoked reference in here, I think. Second week, maybe? I just really want to play Star <laughs> Trek online. I, I logged in over the weekend because they had like some deal going on. And uh, Did you really? Yeah, I did. Yeah, But I, I just kind of logged out oh. uh, after a few minutes. And it's no, no shade on the game. I have been broken by Breath of the Wild. And I'm not trying to be that guy. But once you go Breath of the Wild, you can't go back. I have also been playing Breath of the Wild. And let me tell you something. I will not sleep until I find all that poop in the ground. Oh, no way. No way. No way. That's a that's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. It's so good. Do you know it's hundreds? Do you know it's like it's like hundreds of Is hundreds? Is it really that many? <laughs> it's like almost a thousand. Yeah. Me, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, excuse me, uh, Mr. Senator. I would like to revise my statement. I am not finding all that poop in the ground. But it's just, it's just, oh, man. I mean, it's such a good game, Mike. It's honestly, you can be Magneto in this game. Yeah. I just, it feels like it's got to be one of the greatest feats of programming in video game history that we just don't talk about. The physics engine in this thing, the way things interact with this world. It's crackhead good. You can play this game for years and still be surprised by the way the world interacts with objects. Can I just throw down a gauntlet here? Mm. The Switch is the winner of the current slash last generation gaming console. Because you know what? I have a... PlayStation 4, it's a great Blu-ray player. I love it. But the Switch is the only console that I sneak away from my son when he goes to bed, and I'm like, yes, I will of course try to find these puzzles in Breath of the Wild. And also Link's Awakening. And have you played Super Mario Maker 2? I haven't, but my kids have, yeah. It's like letting all the beephole teenage wannabe game developers unleashed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I've played some yeah. some like fiendishly yeah. hard Mario levels on that game. That's pretty neat. I mean, the Nintendo service is so bad at services, they make Apple look good at them. But they make that work somehow, that game, that gameplay. I'm sorry, Apple? You mean the horrible monopolist, <laughs> Apple? All right, so Paul writes into the show and he says, I just listened to your last episode where you guys talked about that AWS problem where somebody's account was compromised. You know, AWS gives you billing alerts. They do exist, and you can set up automatic shutdowns, emails, etc., to be triggered when monthly spend exceed limits are reached. And there's a lot of different alerts at different levels to trigger different actions like uh, service control policies. So people should look into that. And he's right. Paul's totally right. We didn't mention that stuff in the show, but those things do exist. Uh, my problem, of course, I mentioned a story about where I ran up like a $2,000 bill, which this was when AWS was brand new. I just was so new to it. I didn't know that stuff existed. So if somebody had mentioned it, I probably would have saved myself or my employer <laughs> a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. All right, so Adrian writes in, um, and he says, the discussion you guys had last week about remote work and struggling to get things done hit home hard. And we heard from a couple of people, but I thought Adrian summed this up pretty good. And this is agonizing what, he, what he's about to say next. He goes on to say, one thing I have found is that my company, which is not a tech company, is trying to use chat video calls to carry on as if we have life in the office with water cool meetings and breakfast meetings and other kinds of meetings that are going on throughout the day. Meetings all day long, just so that way we can recreate that in the office feeling. <laughs> oh, man. I think the companies that tried to do this as a response to having everybody work home during the pandemic just... They totally, they, number one is it felt like if you were already a remote worker, 
you got steamrolled because all of a sudden, like they were putting all of this attention and they were giving all this care to remote workers when, you know, people have been remote working for a long time. We're like, uh, this is normal for us. Like, what about us? We've been here the whole time. A lot of companies started doing like these one day a week, we'll buy your lunch or we're going to send you a snack pack. I don't know if you've seen, seen that, but a lot of companies did that. We're going to subscribe you to a snack pack or we're going to subscribe you to a meal a week or we're going to give you a cash card each week that you can use to buy any restaurant or some companies partnered with DoorDash, like all these different things that they did. And, and man, that sure is nice, but it's like, hey, what about the rest of us that were remote working for years already? And we never got this stuff. And now, now that the precious office workers can't go into their precious office and have their precious social time. And so now that now we get all these extra perks is how a lot of people have felt from this whole thing. And I think Adrian's kind of in that camp. And it's just, it's funny to watch companies try to adapt to this. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I'm a little less judgmental. I mean, I think those ideas that he lists as stupid are in fact stupid, but Adrian's definitely right. It's just more. So you and I have a problem, I think, on this topic, Chris. And if you want to jump out of this boat with me, go ahead. <laughs> we moved our organizations to remote a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, what, 2016, 2017, whatever it was. I think you did it first. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had, you know, as we've grown the shows, most hosts have been remote. Right. Like, I got to be honest with you, the hardest thing for me with COVID was the lack of trade shows. Yeah. We've been remote forever. It works. Like Slack, yes, the general chat in Slack. And if you've never used Slack, there's a chat called general that's basically just like everybody's in it by default. It's basically a shoot the shit, right? It's the water cooler chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't like, one, I am not an accountant nor a financial advisor or a lawyer. But my CPA made it very clear to me that I could not buy people food at their homes. Interesting. I can buy food in the office. I mean, maybe that's his opinion. Maybe he's wrong. When they're at home, it's like a different thing, huh? But they get other things, right? Like a good chair, a good desk, a good computer. Right, right. I mean, they always got the good computer. But like my problem, and I think uh, I think he's right, is that you can't recreate the in-office experience with remote. No. You have to adapt to the remote way. Yes. And that means that even like, for instance, for a time, and we, I mean, there's hours of tape on this for, for the Mad Botter, when we transitioned to remote or before then we had a different name, half the people were in office for like another, what, eight months, a year? It was, but the main office was quote, the office quote unquote was Slack. So even if you were sitting next to somebody and you wanted the group to hear it, you put it in Slack. Right, right. And that's a discipline that you have to develop. And it's a little awkward at first, but I got to tell you, I see no reason to pay these crazy, and I know rents are going down, but for a company like the Mad Botter, and I, again, if I'm being too bold, like JB, spending a bunch of money on office space seems insane at this juncture. No kidding. I wouldn't consider getting another space at this point. And frankly, I could hire another junior employee to do like testing, right? Like it, it's literally that expense, at least where I am. You know what Adrian kind of goes on to say later in his email, uh, I think points the difference between tech companies and non-tech companies. I think tech companies were way better positioned with the tooling. He says like, for example, his company, you know, they have teams, but like they don't really use the team part of teams. They don't really have uh, like task tracking platforms to help people organize what work they have to do. And so there's like kind of a, a lack of effective tooling for remote people. And then he adds, and it, I totally feel him on this. He says, you know, 
I was working from home and kind of forced to work from home at the same time, not going out, not having any social life, not just expending energy that way. So like his focus and for Adrian, he suffers from ADHD. It was just a lot worse because he wasn't able to exercise that kind of energy. And so that he's at home. He's got no tools. The, the whole company doesn't know how to use remote software. It's very frustrating. It's a really bad experience where tech companies like yourself or JB, you know, we're quote unquote tech companies. Um, yeah, we know how to use these tools and we know how to use them remote first. It, it is absolutely the case that uh, we'll use chat platforms the same way you just said. Uh, even if we're in the same, you know, building, it's just the way you do it because we've got, we got, you know, Joe in London and and Drew in Colorado, <laughs> so we've we've got to do it that way. So Adrian, we feel you. The good news is, kind of seems like over time people are going to figure this out. It is going to get better. It's just going to take humans figuring things out and adopting things, and that takes a while. It, I'm always surprised and shocked at how long that takes. Um, a lot longer than you'd like it to. And then last but not least, uh, Gary on Twitter says, uh, Golang, I think, and I think he makes a good point, is his favorite. And he says, if you look at Golang, Google has been very good stewards of it. So perhaps our concerns about Google flutter fade, Google losing interest over time, may be a little misplaced. If we go by how they've treated Go, it seems they've stuck with Go. They've invested deeply in Go. Perhaps the same is true for Flutter, and that's what Gary suspects. What do you think? Do you think it's possible that Flutter gets the Go treatment? Oh yeah, and if you if they treat it just like they treated um, Google Reader, they're never going to recover from that, are they? I would argue the devils do a soul, but that's just me. <laughs> I think they're gonna they're like. I hear Reader brought up every time like a Google like Google Killer product conversation comes up. They should have just kept it running for the brand, you know? <laughs> right. It should have just been you know a marketing budget. Seriously, like, just put it on marketing. I would do it. Yeah. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to receive a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. Yeah. And, of course, you support the show. Linode is the largest independent cloud computing provider out there. And no matter what skill level you're at, if you're a total noob or you've been doing this for a long time, they've got something that's going to work for you. They have a brilliant dashboard that makes it really straightforward to either build a rig from the ground up, you know, pick each part in your distro and all that kind of stuff. they got 11 data centers to choose from, all that. Or... One-click application deployments. Very simple to get started. Really well-done systems. And there's also a, uh, they have these stack scripts, like a team, like a community-written stack scripts to help build like a whole, well, guess what? Stack. It's just so many options from really kind of DIY to really kind of, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to get started trying the application and then go from there. Which, no shame on that game. That is a great way to learn and try something out is deploy it with one of these one clicks and then learn back from there. Linode's going to make it really easy with that cloud dashboard. Their object storage is very straightforward. I toss files in there to send out to vendors and whatnot, just like real quick snapshots for images or large SVG files or sponsor reads for sponsor spots. All of that we can stick on object storage and generate a public URL. No front-end server required. Linode has cloud firewalls to help you manage security. Super fast networking. They are their own ISP, and they are great when you need support. They are the best out there in support because they started in 2003, and they decided we're going to focus on these core things about hosting, and we're just going to do them really good. That's three years before AWS, and they managed to still be 30 to 50% cheaper than the big cloud providers out there that just want to lock you in and, you know, give you less flexibility and 
accidentally run that clock up. Linode's really quick to get started. So go to linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 60-day credit on your new account, and you support the show. Thanks to Linode for their support of the Coder Radio program. And remember, you can support the show and receive that $100 by visiting linode.com slash coder. Now, there's a new laptop in town, and I want you to talk me down from the hype train a little bit on this one. But I, 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 I was skeptical until I did some research, and it looks like they actually have finished units that they're letting the press get their hands on. And I moved from a skeptic to potentially interested in the Framework laptop. Now, the Framework laptop is being called the Anti-MacBook. They have bundled versions that come with Windows and a DIY version that you can install Linux on. The idea is, is that it has modules that connect over USB 4 slash C, so Thunderbolt, for things like HDMI, DisplayPort, additional SD card readers or storage, Ethernet port. So you could add the ports you want. There's four modules in a laptop. You could add the ports that you want. If you wanted to drive a bunch of monitors, you could throw in a whole bunch of HDMI or DisplayPort. If, if you needed SD and Ethernet and all that, you could throw that in there. And the idea is going to be that down the road, you can replace individual components like the memory and the disk. It's, it's going to depend on the motherboard, but... The motherboard itself is also removable in a, in a really kind of smart way. And the overall build quality doesn't seem that compromised. It just looks like a slightly thicker MacBook Air, to tell you the truth. The design's not horrible. Uh, it has a you know aluminum chassis, and uh, it has that kind of MacBook look. But yet, with a few screws, you can open the whole thing up, take out the individual components, replace the keyboard, replace the screen, replace the webcam or just do these modules with these expansion card slots. The price is pretty reasonable. It's uh, it's typical laptop prices. It's not extraordinarily expensive. It's just a slight premium, but no more than, you know, any niche vendor premium. Am I crazy? Yes. <laughs> I actually I'm not so sure, man. I'm not It's the anti-MacBook. <sighs> Anti-MacBook. Anti-MacBook. Well, as Apple is successfully pushing that MacBook, there's going to be a group of people who who look for the anti-MacBook. It's just how consumerism works. All right. Architect, can you come here? Ergo, 1% of the population resisted the programming. Because they were given a choice. Yeah. A choice between long battery life, high performance, and a beautiful machine. They chose crap that they had to modify all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, this is oh. this is this is garbage. No. I mean, I'm sorry. No. The answer is no. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so it, it, I, I thought that's how I thought initially, but then I watched I watched them them actually assemble one in real time with no cuts. Does it have 20 hours of battery life? Can it rival an iMac Pro in single-threaded performance? Well, no. But you got to acknowledge that for some people, being able to replace the battery is a very desired feature or uh, replace the memory. I will acknowledge that people make bad decisions, yes. <laughs> the thing that I think is appealing about it is that you can service it in such a way that the battery, the RAM, the disk can all be swapped out. And then you add those modules. You can have like an all HDMI module setup where you're sending out signal to a bunch of stuff for a live stream. Like, then buy a goddamn desktop. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's that, I suppose. But uh, here's the use case. The use case is, say, a portable DJ 
or a portable live stream setup. No, they're all using MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros. Yeah, probably. Especially because now they're pretty much fanless. So I can't get you to bite, huh? I can't get you to bite. No, I keep find, trying to find reasons to not use this MacBook Air. But I got to be honest with you, it's like the one ring of Sauron. It's just that it's so good. I just, I want this to be a thing that could be successful because it feels like you need that market pressure. The only thing that could possibly be successful is if like System76 like drinks the Apple Kool-Aid, which I know they won't. And it's just like, we're going to make our own like M1. But they can't because... Building a laptop's a whole other thing. We had a story in Slack about the M1 performance. I mean, it's a juggernaut. We keep sharing benchmarks back and forth, yeah. No fan, incredible battery life. And it makes my goddamn iMac Pro look like a fancy monitor that I paid way too much for. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think this laptop goes after the M1 market. I think this laptop goes after a geekier market or an engineer that needs a very special use case. I mean, the damn thing comes with a screwdriver in the box. You know, as if that's if that's not like a message. And then they're going to their intention with this framework laptop is to create a marketplace of parts. So when you want to sw- trade modules, or maybe you want to swap motherboards, and you want to buy somebody's used motherboard, they're going to have a, a a market. Do you hear yourself? Buy somebody's used motherboard. The idea is to get access to technology for oh, cheaper prices. No, buddy. No, 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 no. no. I know. I know. It's not going to happen. Doesn't it feel like if we didn't want to live in a dystopian future that's completely controlled by five technology companies, we need things like this to be successful? (laughs) You see the problem? We're not going to live in a dystopian future controlled by five technology companies. We already do, dude. We do right now. We're going to live in a dystopian future controlled by two technology companies. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So Apple's one of them, obviously. Who's the other one? Micro Google. Oh, yeah. See, I was going to, or, yeah, Google. It's not going to be Oracle. Amazon and Facebook would raise their hand. They'd like the job, please. I mean, look at Amazon. This whole pandemic has been just gangbusters mm-hmm. for them. And look at Facebook. You know what? I will give the executive team, Mr. Zuckerberg, and I am really not sorry I didn't take that job you guys offered. But, <laughs> um, their superpower is that they're f-ing shameless, right? <laughs> they don't care. Well, for Facebook, the you know, the, the World Wide Web, is powered by ads. That's been that's become the monetization strategy for the internet, and Facebook is just one of the key players in that. Yeah, I think that's bad. None of them are good, and that's why something like the framework laptop. It just feels like it's. It would be a lifeline. It would be. It would keep that kind of flexibility available to people. That kind of breaks that 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 cycle, but it just doesn't seem like they could possibly have the scale to make it successful. It would have to be like one of the top five laptops out there really to have a scale. Dude, imagine there's no heaven. You're, you're living in John Lennon's fantasy world here. Like, Well, then you know who's really all in is that Wes Payne because he put a pre-order in for one. <laughs> Wes is nuts. He writes closure. Yeah, that's so. true. I can't argue that. The same developer would be working in a solid language that's been proven for years. I don't know if that's his daily language, though. But, you know, the thing is, his Python. work gave him a MacBook. So he's kind of in a, he's in like a, I need a home machine that's my own market needs, you know, kind uh, of thing. Terrible. Right but, but, but if he wants to work and do good work, he needs to have C, but objects. Yeah, some way you could have objects with C. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. Like if he could be objective about right. his C program. But, you know, objectively speaking, it's just never going to happen. And even if it did happen, I mean, eventually people would move on, right? 
you might say it would be swiftly struck down. It just might. You just might. All right, fine. Move on. We can talk about Wes's <laughs> stupid computer now. No, no. It's, Love you, Wes. I don't even know if he's going to get it, you know, because it's going to be a few months and all of that. It's like trying to get a Tesla. You put your, you place your pre-order in. And it's going to be like Ubuntu Touch. It's never going to really ship. Oh, I, The only thing is, is like I was saying, is uh, uh, the Adam Savage tested channel went into their office, the framework computer office, sat down at a table, put a camera up and didn't cut and just let the camera roll as they just assembled one from all of the components in like two minutes. It, and it worked. Uh, and it looked good. And I was like, oh, man, it's what I've always wanted. It's what I've always wanted. But, you know, maybe you've always wanted to use Python for data management and reporting. Our friends over at a Cloud Guru have a course just for that. You know, we talk about the snake often, and it's an excellent resource for exploring data and really making data usable for a variety of different purposes. Well, they have courseware just on that that helps you use Python and the Jupyter Notebooks to learn how to really use data, get the most out of data, use common databases, and send it off even to Excel spreadsheet if that's what you desire. And it also comes with some simple examples of doing report formatting and data visualization. We'll have a link to the Cloud Guru Python for Data Management and Reporting course in the show notes at coder.show slash 414 if you'd like to try it. So did you get, do you even have a sense that Google I.O. starts like tomorrow, I think? Yeah, tomorrow as we record. I'm sorry, are we talking about knockoff WWDC right now? Isn't it weird how low the hype is? It's like non-existent for Google I.O. It's weird. Can I get a quick credit check on my uh, asshole budget for this week? Yeah, no, you're, let's see here. Uh, Yep, you're good. You're good. No one cares about the Google platforms. Wow. That seems factually wrong. Really? (laughs) Uh, If you're a developer trying to sell apps for money, the financials are rough, man. If you're a mobile developer, we're talking about mobile here. No, you're right. Is that what we're really talking about? Well, mostly. Yeah, I'd I'd say. I mean, they're going to, it looks like they're mostly going to talk about Android and Wear OS. And also, it seems the word is on the street a big push for tablets again. I know you're just screwing with me now. No, I'm 100% serious. There's, uh, Hang on, is, is, this, is this Project Margarine instead of Butter this time? <laughs> That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. That is. No, the Google I.O. schedule contains several shout-outs to tablets, like what's new in foldables and tablets and large screens. Nothing. And nothing. The, material- the answer is nothing. <laughs> the Google Material Design team has five things you could right, do to prepare listen, your app for stop, large stop, screens. Stop, stop, stop. This is a developer show. <laughs> if you want to make money on a mobile, go right for iOS. Goodbye. Yeah, that's true. Unless you're yeah. not in the United States or like. Okay. All right. Europe. Okay. All right. So the tablets is out, but also big rumor. If you look at the schedule, it looks like things are really lining up. Google's going in all in this year on Wear OS, but they're not going to call it Wear OS anymore. They're just going to call it Wear by Google. And Samsung's going to announce that they're dropping tri- uh, Tizen and switching over to Wear OS. And they're going to just try to make Android on watches a thing even though it has been an unmitigated disaster qualcomm hasn't released a major update to the wear platform soc in six years google's last wear os update major one was two years ago every vendor's sales of wear os watches are so low none of them not a single one of them list them in their sales report, in their uh, in their quarterly reports for sales, none of them. That's the state of and so and uh, but if you look at the schedule, there's a lot booked out for Wear OS. Okay, so you can argue with me about Android, Chris, but nobody should be developing for Wear OS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, that's a no doubt. Full straight 
And I'm going to even go further and say Android, unless you are advertising or doing some sort of you know app as a front end to a service, it makes no sense. People don't spend money on that platform. And that's because Google is fundamentally an advertising company. If they wanted to have the dominant app development platform, they could have. But no, they're an advertising company. It's a waste of time. Google I.O. is a waste of time. So wild. I mean, it's just wild that we're at this point that this many, that they feel in some ways less relevant right now when it comes to tablets and, uh, and Wear OS and really you Android. Know, they're not relevant at all in terms of tablets or watches. Maybe the phone, you could argue, if you're making some stupid social networking app or like a two-sided market where you need numbers, not quality. Or you're a big, like an airline or Uber. Sure, and you need to it's, it's a line of business app. But yeah. the most important thing in the mobile space is the lawsuit between Apple and Epic. That's it. It's all that matters. I would like to see what Google's going to do with Fitbit. I do think fitness wearables and applications around health. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. They're gonna, nothing. The answer is nothing. There is nothing to talk about with Google I.O. It's a waste of time. They'll announce stuff. It just won't go anywhere is what oh, it is. Oh, yeah. They, Google is great at having big visions and failing to execute because at their heart, they are an advertising company. And if you are not feeding the advertising machine... They just can't put the wood behind the arrows. The problem is there's a lot of players out there that need something from Google that kicks ass because they want to sell. Like LG and Samsung, they want to sell watches and they want to sell phones and they want to be competitive. I think they just keep pushing for something to develop. And Google just has endless money. They can just keep throwing money at this. They're not going to sell watches in significant numbers. But they think they are. You know, they think they will then they need to go see a psychiatrist. They do, but they can just keep throwing money in a hole in a way that would would be, you would think, considered malpractice, you know? They'll just keep throwing money in this hole. They'll buy as much market share as they can. They'll dump as much product onto the market as they can. Uh, And I guess, I mean, I'm trying not to make a theme out of this, but like, well, for f**k's sake, like, what's going to happen here? Is Apple going to just keep taking off? Like, are they going to dominate here? Because if they come out with the M1X or the M2, and they just keep on this trajectory with a the desktop, they're going to blow away anything on the x86 side. Their watches, like, there isn't a term that describes how far ahead the Apple Watch is from Wear OS. Lapping the wa- that's not even, that doesn't even be to describe how far the watch is. Well, that's a very merciful term. Right. And then, of course, there's tablets. They just put the f***ing M1 in a tablet. Just nobody can touch that at all. And my concern is, what if, what if nobody ever does? What if nobody ever catches up? Because I kept expecting for the last 10 years that one of these idiots out there, Microsoft or Google or Samsung or some crazy open source project, somebody in the last decade could have come up with something by now. And and I and I look at it and I worry that it is just impossible, that all of these companies just are too broken internally. They're too just messed up, and Apple's the only one that's just somehow got its shit together enough to actually execute. And, and, an, and an example of this that's just been rattling around in my head right now, that in my soul I know the open source community can never compete with, is it turns out one of the things that makes applications in macOS 
run really smooth and save battery life on the M1 is that Apple has set for background OS tasks like time machine backups and other automated cron jobs to run at a lower lower priority and to run on the high efficiency cores, the low power cores. And so when you look at like your activity monitor, when a time machine backup is going on, the low power cores will be working hard, but the high performance cores are barely even touched. Now I bring that up because what Apple has done here is they said, hey, you know what? We're gonna have this M1 chip that has these two types of cores, high efficiency and high performance. And even though we're gonna put them in iMacs and, and, and Mac minis that are gonna be plugged into the wall, there's still a use case for that. And you know what we're going to do is we're going to update our OS that's already out, Big Sur already shipped. We're going to update our OS to support this so that when we ship this hardware, our OS properly prioritizes tasks to the higher efficiency CPU cores that can just run in the background. And what the end result of that is, is not only tremendous battery savings over time, but it means those high performance cores are available for the end user and they're not taken up by stupid background like file system check or whatever little thing the operating system needs to be doing. The high performance cores are totally available for the user space applications and things just scream and are immediately available. It is a Great example of how Apple integrated the hardware at a certain level and knew that processor capability was there, and so then was able to make the modification to the OS and ship it. Intel could introduce a feature like this for the Intel processors where there's high-performance cores and high-efficiency cores, but it will take years, years for the Windows ecosystem and for the entire Linux stack to adapt. I mean, the Linux kernel may get it within a few releases, but the actual entire stack will probably literally never support the feature because it would require every little OS, OS developer, distro developer, desktop environment developer, and random app developer to support it. There's no uniform movement like that. And I, I look at the performance gains with the processors, the tablets, the watch, all of it combined with their actual ability to execute, not just like put things out in the world and see what happens like Google does and then nothing takes off, but they actually execute and make the backend modifications to the software stack to support the hardware changes in a way that no other company seemingly can. And I don't see like we're getting, if this isn't getting any better, in fact, Apple's pulling away from the pack now. And so when I look at the framework laptop or I look at Google I.O., I think to myself, my God, would one of you please, please figure out your shit and ship something that people want to spend their hard-earned money on, please. Because my God, we're just going to get left behind by Apple and it's going to be their stuff and everybody else's stuff is just crap. I mean, I agree with you. I would even take it maybe a half step further and say, the argument used to be, do software and hardware have to be tightly coupled? And I think that's not an argument yeah. anymore. The answer is yes. They basically do. Yeah. The answer is yeah. yes. So anybody using the old Microsoft model is basically forked. Yeah. Not even Microsoft's really using that model anymore. <laughs> right. Microsoft is like, eh, let's help with some hardware design here now, right? Yeah. And the Surface Books are doing fairly well as a result. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Analyze code level performance across your environment and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. How nice does that sound? You know, one of the things I love to mention is their continuous profiler. It will automatically collect information from your production servers and applications across your entire stack 
all the time. And then you can go back and quickly analyze any of your data with minimal overhead. And you get this brilliant unified picture of your entire environment. You got to go see these dashboards. It's, it's such a great way to visualize what's going on. You get everything from like your code performance to server performance, network performance. It's all in there. And they have over 450 integrations into applications. So then you get that information from your specific work application. You get the tracing, you get the log management and the continuous profiler all in one platform with beautiful real-time dashboards. Now, here's the thing you can do. You can support the show and get a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash coderadio. Go over there and try it out. See how Datadog enables you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever and communicate with your team. Go try Datadog for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash coderadio. And you know what? For a limited time, you start that trial, you create one dashboard, you're going to get a free t-shirt. Datadog.com slash Radio. All right. Well, I can't avoid it. Uh, people send it into the show. They want us to talk about it. It's called Lima, and it stands for Linux on Mac, the macOS subsystem for Linux, or Containerd for Mac. It launches a Linux virtual machine on macOS with automatic file sharing back to the Mac host, port forwarding, and Containerd running underneath all of it, which is the, like, official standard Linux container from the Linux Foundation, and um, you get some unofficial, like, extra goodies like SSHFS. It's using the HVF accelerator for virtualization, and it works with both Intel and M1 Macs. And uh, so far, I've heard reports from our listeners that they've tried it with Fedora and Ubuntu guests. It is an unofficial Linux subsystem for the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Why is everybody doing this? What is what? Just install Linux. Okay, sure. So Linux has a shitty uh, UX oh. and a great command line interface. Oh, you, you cut. You cut so deep. You know you hurt me. You hurt. Well, I mean, OmniGraph was awesome, and all of the games you can play on Windows are great. <laughs> okay. But Bash and Z Shell are awesome. Oh, by the way, this makes less sense to me than the Windows subsystem for Linux. Yeah, and to be clear, it's an open source project by a third party. It is not created by Apple. Although I suppose it could be Sherlocked. It's pretty easy to get going. All right, I'm sorry. It's not going to be Sherlocked because it shouldn't exist. I don't know. I think there seems to be a demand for it. Nope. What is, I think most Mac developers are either developing for Apple platforms or web developers. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, could potentially let them set up a quick little Linux environment. Have you looked at a web developer's, like, tutorial in a while? <laughs> All the commands by default are, like, brew install. Like Totally are. I Actually, it's funny you say that. I was just looking into something for uh, Hugo, and I was following the official Hugo project instructions, and they're all for Mac. Yeah, it's, it, this, is, this is not a good idea, but okay. I kind of think it's brilliant a little bit. I think if, if it... I'm this, I'm kind of for the for WSL and this kind of stuff. Make it easier to get Linux as a universal runtime everywhere. I don't think that's bad for Linux overall. And if this is a tool that gives people the ability, like in this example um, that I was going to play with earlier today, uh, I just I did Alpine, although people wrote in did Ubuntu and Fedora, um, and it, it's it's handy. It's ha I. I am a fan of the concept of disposable environments to begin with. I like the ability to create something up, make a total mess of the place, you know, just files everywhere, doing everything is rude. I don't give a crap. And then I, you know, when I'm done, I destroy it and it's gone. 
And this kind of tool is perfect for that sort of thing. And let's be honest, the Linux command line is superior to the Mac command line. And so if you're going to do a disposable environment and, you know, wreck havoc, why not do it in a superior environment? And if this does it really quick, it bridges the file system for you. It sets up the port forwarding for you. I mean, it sounds great to me. If I had a Mac I was doing daily driving on right now, I think I'd give it a go. I just, the main machine I have access to is in the studio. Doing uh, one thing and one thing only. Playing Deckard Kane clips. Stay a while and listen. <laughs> All right, well, you're out of your goddamn mind. Um, you might be right. You, you might be right. Children, this is not the way if you want to advocate for Linux. The Linux hardware companies need to, need to embrace the Mac thing and have integrated hardware with proprietary drivers, proprietary stuff that makes Linux run as good as Mac because I will bet my hat if someone took Linux and drank the proprietary demon blood and went evil it would actually outperform Mac. Now, the M1 chip maybe is a problem on this, but let's just ignore that and say Intel and AMD. You just can't have it both ways. You can't be, quote, good in terms of, like, free as an RMS and effective at the same time. I I suppose. I I can't argue. Show me a Linux machine that can beat the M1. Well, you could build an Intel or Ryzen box that benchmarks faster. At the same price. Yeah, I know. And the power draw and and the battery life. I know, I know. I know. It's really when you go multi-core, you can start to beat the M1, but you just got to go along. But no one cares about that in reality. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts about Parler being back? Uh, You know, you talked about when Parler was kicked off. I couldn't care less. I think the app store should be completely open. I don't care if you want to have an app that says Mike sucks dot app. That's fine. It should be open. Apple, you should be able to pay through your own website via the app or implement Stripe with the SDK. I don't care who you are. You could be the We Hate JB app. You could be the JB's Awesome app. You could be the Mike Sucks app. You could be the Mike's Great app. I think there should be no vetting whatsoever other than for fraud and security. And then just let people review it. And people want to buy what they want to buy. Did you become a libertarian? Did, is that what happened? It is very libertarian, isn't it? I, you know, I was reading some Ayn Rand, and I just went nuts. I, I don't know if you're kidding or not. I, that actually sounds like maybe what happened. <laughs> I think I think that will leave that as a mystery for the audience. They can they can decide. It feels like a good way to end the show. Mike is reading Ayn Rand. Fear. <laughs> We're just going to get a bunch of like, I'm really concerned about Mike emails. <laughs> we, we got those a few weeks ago, I think. No. Do you uh, have anything you want to mention or plug before we get out of here this week? Um, yeah, well, follow me on Twitter. I'm giving some stuff away. I th- uh, The marketing girl's going to kill me. Um, well, at some point, I think the first or second week in June, I'm giving a bunch of swag away. So don't tell anybody. Swag daddy. Swag daddy. And uh, at Dumanuko on the Twitter, his company is at the Mad Botter Inc. I'm over there. I will try to reply to the tweets that I get. I don't tweet a lot. I guess maybe that's good. I don't, uh, you know, clog your feet up. It seriously is for the best. You shouldn't never tweet. Tweeting is bad. I've learned my lesson. My only thing is I just, I hate email so much. I took all my self-control not to go into an email rant today. Um, Because boy, did I get a doozy this morning. Man, did I get a doozy. You know, one of those stinkers that's just like, oh, well, that's my morning now. This person just gave me a project for the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So I do try to, so I like, because I hate email so much, I try to reply on Twitter, but I am actually starting to just say maybe email's better. So what, you know what? There it is. There it is. Probably the best solution for the show is just go to coder.show slash contact. That's the pro tip right there. Links to everything we talked about today. Well, that's at coder.show slash four one four. You'll also find over there our contact form, our RSS feed. 
links to previous shows, all of that. It's a website, and we put information on it just for you at coder.show. This program is live. However, we will not be live next Monday. I'll be traveling, so we pre-recorded. We'll have something in the feeds for you. There's just not going to be a live show next Monday. But then the show returns at 5 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern on Mondays over at jblive.tv. Thanks for joining us. See you back here next week.